One year, I kind of got an idea. You almost try trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fist trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because work it ahead of time to build big traffic. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down top. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it was sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the fur shed, this is the Trapping Today podcast. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Great to be here. Great to have you here. End of April. Still got about a week of beaver trapping here in northern Maine. And uh, then we're off to summer. Uh, we are brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Cots Bros is the place to get your trapping supplies. They'll get you started with anything you need to get going on the trap line. It's a great time to inventory in the off-season, see what you need for the upcoming season, get prepared, and order some items. Lots of great deals there. Go to K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Thanks very much, guys, for uh, guys that have shopped at Cots Bros and uh, mentioned the Trapping Today podcast. Uh, I hear that uh, from time to time from Kyle and Kellen uh, that they they have guys that have mentioned where they've heard uh, about uh, about the site and about Cots Bros, and it really goes a long way. I appreciate it, and we've got a lot more for you coming up from Cots Bros because of that. Uh, we're also brought to you by Fur Harvesters Auction, where the world comes to buy wild fur. Fur Harvesters is an auction house run by trappers for trappers. Go to furharvesters.com um, to find more information. Uh, I mean, it's a really tough fur market. This is actually going to be the last uh, Fur Harvesters ad on the podcast for for uh, the foreseeable future. I hope to have them back again. Uh, I love those guys. I love what they're doing. Um, they're, they're doing their best in a very difficult market to try to get fur sold for trappers. Uh, they are trappers and they're, they're working for us. It's just a, it's just a tough time man. the market is in really rough shape. We'll talk about that a little more moving forward, but you know, everything kind of flows together. All things affect, affect other things. And if fur can't get sold, they can't, uh, they, you know, where does the advertising budget come from to, to support places, podcasts and in magazine, trapping magazines and everything else. So it's kind of a, it's, there's a, I've been up, the last few nights thinking, you know, big picture stuff about the fur industry and, and I don't have a solution, but, uh, but some, we need a solution, uh, at some point, um, if we're going to continue, uh, in this lifestyle. Uh, we're also brought to you by OnX Maps. OnX is the app you use to turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS for 30 bucks a year. You can get this app and actually you get a nice little discount, uh, if you mention, 
uh, trapping today the promo code trap when you make your first order you get 20% off so it's going to be more like uh, what's that $24 for your first year and uh, it's an app you download on your phone and it is slick man you're going to find yourself using this everywhere you go basically you're out in the woods and you want to know you know what the aerial imagery looks like you want to know whose land you're on um, you want to mark a location you want to track yourself i mean you just open up that app and tap a few uh buttons and off you go so uh it's it's really it's it's really it's just like having a gps on your phone it's it's pretty incredible and um it syncs onto the web so you don't have to worry about uh, if you break your phone or lose your phone you don't have to worry about losing your waypoints and tracks and everything uh it's awesome so go to onxmaps.com and uh use the promo code trap um to uh to get that 20% off I had a, a listener ask about uh, about doing a sort of a tutorial, sort of a video of some sort on how to use Onyx. Uh, I I would like to try to do that. Um, not really keen. I'm not I'm not great on. I don't really know how to share a phone screen uh, on uh, a YouTube video, but I'm sure I could figure that out. And when I get a little bit of time, I'd like to do that for you. I'd also like to get uh, someone from Onyx on the show. To uh, to answer questions, kind of explain more about using the app and all the all the different features that you can uh, you can unlock uh, to to make the most out of uh, out of the app. Like if you're like me, you'll find you're going to use it for way more than just trapping. Um, basically, all summer long, I use it when I'm fishing, and and I just I usually stop carrying my GPS. I still do take my GPS uh, when I'm deep in the woods because I I have a few issues um, when I lose cell service. It still works, but uh, my phone has a few glitches with it, um, and occasionally, I, I'm always paranoid. I actually always just I double mark. I mark it on Onyx, and I mark it on my GPS at the beginning of the season, and then I, I use Onyx from there on out. But anyway, um, those are those are all great uh, sponsors, uh, and appreciate you supporting them. Um, tonight we got an exciting episode. We're going to talk with Tyler Selden from The Last Alaskans TV show. Um, I know a lot of you guys are big fans of that show. I am as well. Um, big fans of the Seldens, uh, Tyler and Ashley, that that were uh, featured on the show. I just have a lot of respect for, for those guys and what they do and the lifestyle they live and all the sacrifices that they have made in order to make that happen. It's pretty cool. It's, it's They're living a dream that a lot of, a lot of us trappers... Uh, wish we could do um, so so we're gonna have uh, the first part of a two-part interview with Tyler in in tonight's episode first I had a couple of uh, items um, to discuss a little update on the Walter Arnold book that is in the works uh, just still working on editing it's amazing how much work actually goes into editing uh, a book once you put it all together so that's coming along um, the shirt, man, Philippe, a uh, listener from Virginia who's also an artist, is working on this Trapping Today t-shirt. Uh, I've been thinking about doing a t-shirt for a long time, and uh, this kind of just, he kind of offered to do the artwork on this, and it's going to be a Mustelid shirt, and he showed me some of the some of the first couple of, of species that he's done, and it is pretty spectacular. It's it's awesome. I I just think it's going to be great. So um, he's going to be working on that here in the next couple weeks, and uh, we'll we'll see where we get with it. And and uh, at some point, the shirt's going to be available for you guys to buy. It'll be a trapping today mustelid shirt. I don't know what we'll title it, 
but it's going to have Martin, Fisher, Weasel, Badger, uh, Wolverine, um, and, and uh, just a, a picture of each in their kind of their natural habitat. It's going to be really cool, I think. I'm going to try to shop around and, and get a really good quality shirt, something that I would like to wear around, not just a shirt, you know, because I bought a shirt, but a, but an actual shirt that's as comfortable as uh, the other shirts that I love to wear all the time. So, so we're, we're working on that. Um, the fur market, I mentioned that we don't know what uh, is in store for like with fur harvesters, you know, they had the online auction. I think they did a great job pulling that together. Uh, it didn't sell a lot of fur. There was, you know, a few items, some, some coyotes sold, Eastern coyotes sold. Okay. The average was really good on the better ones. Uh, muskrats sold at fairly low prices. Um, and, uh, there were, you know, a few beaver actually didn't do too bad. Um, the ones that sold and then and a few coons sold. It wasn't, you know, a, a real clearance. We, we entered a situation where we're already in a very poor fur market, probably the, one of the worst fur markets, uh, that we've ever had. Actually, if you read, uh, if you get the chance to pick up the Walter Arnold book, when I finally finish it, you're going to read about times when the fur market seems to have been almost as bad as it is today. Um, so the, you know, low markets do come and go, but this one's like, this one's a doozy. This is, uh, about as bad as, as most anyone can remember, maybe worse than anything anyone's ever seen. And then on top of it, we get hit with this coronavirus. And so, uh, essentially the, the whole world shuts down and the, the fur industry that was already kind of hanging by a thread, uh, basically just, uh, just shut down with it. So the issue now is, is when is the world going to pick back up and when is wild fur going to be back in demand and manufacturers going to get going? And a lot of the fur manufacturers are actually uh, sewing masks right now. So, uh, you know, there, there are more other more important things to, to get done at the time. Uh, but this, we don't know. Fur harvesters are talking about maybe having a September auction. That would be great if the world is back up and, and running again and, and people can go into Canada and, and see the fur and bid on fur, that would be awesome. And I hope it happens, but th- we have to prepare ourselves for the possibility that that's not going to happen. And if it doesn't, then we're going to have to figure out if you're going to trap, you're going to have to figure out uh, what you're going to do with that fur. Now you're going to see uh, Tyler and Ashley are getting creative and they're finding ways to try and market their fur. Um, we've talked about di- to talk to different people on the show about ways that they have have marketed their fur as well and uh, there are ways but you have to get creative and it's a lot of work um, you, there still is demand for fur there's you know there's there's demand out there but uh, it's boy you just you can't just uh, drive down to a local fur buyer and get price, good price for your fur anymore uh, most people don't have a buyer and and then um, now the option that we most of us fell back on shipping to one of the auction houses uh, is is starting to become less and less of an option as well. So we have to find other ways to market our fur, and I've been racking my brain trying to figure out what to do. Um, and then we get hit with this other news this week. Um, earlier this week, there was a news article uh, press release that came out and was in all the media about Canada Goose and Canada Goose is the company uh, as as most of you know that has been kind of driving the coyote 
fur market in the last few years. We've had we've had this huge boom in coyote pelts. Um, you know, western coyotes going for 70, 80, 90, 100, 110, 120 dollars average. Just incredible prices. Um, and and Canada Goose is not the only manufacturer of these, but they've kind of driven the market. They're selling these parkas with uh, fur uh, lined hoods. Um, and this this fur trim that comes from coyotes uh, is is j- the only piece of fur that's on these coats, these expedition parkas. But these things are selling for over a thousand dollars a piece. They're really popular coats, and uh, they become kind of a fashion trend. A lot of people, like in New York City, a lot of millennials, a lot of younger people are wearing them, spending a lot of money on them, and that's kind of driven the the market where Canada Goose is paying top dollar, and then all these other lookalikes and and uh, lower end copycats, I guess you could call them, but you know just kind of people that are making medium to lower end coats that look like the Canada Goose, they're selling a bunch too, and they're gonna pay more for coyote pelts. So it's been very good for the market, but uh, you remember when we interviewed Garrett Volk, that was probably a year and a half ago, talking about the the market, and you know he bought uh, coyotes for Canada Goose, um, and and I asked him that question, you know, how long do you think this is gonna last? Because uh, we know it, you know, fashion trends come and go, and they don't last forever. Um, over the past 15, 20 years, even there's been several trends. You know, we were selling otters for over a hundred dollar average. Um, now you're lucky to get 30 for them. So, uh, and that was a fashion trend. So these things come and go, but this was a, I, I felt like this was a real blow. Um, I don't know what's going to happen here, but, uh, the big news is that Canada goose has, uh, pledged to stop using raw coyote, uh, fur for their, uh, their parka hoods in 20, starting in 2022. And so the big story is that they they went through this, uh, they came up with this sustainability plan moving forward for the company. Uh, And as part of their sustainability plan, they're going to transition towards using recycled, uh, recycled roughs for their parkas, for the, the hoods and their parkas. Um, and it, it's just kind of convoluted and it's very hard for someone who's a trapper outdoors person to understand how uh, harvesting a renewable natural resource would not be sustainable um, you know in the way that coyotes are managed and I mean how on earth could you fathom that this is not sustainable the problem with all that line of reasoning is it doesn't really matter because Canada Goose is a publicly traded company on the the New York Stock Exchange, and they are uh, basically a lot of their decisions are driven by investors and shareholders in the company. So there's when there's public sentiment against uh, fur uh, or pe- wanting to improve an image, you know they've been under a lot of heat from PETA and they've fought it for a very long time, and it's it's been encouraging to see them fight it, but. Um, this was kind of a surprise. I think it took everybody by surprise that uh, this this plan to to move towards this uh, re, quote unquote recycled fur. I could read you the press release, but it really I mean you can Google it and read it yourself. There really wasn't much substance to it. They they provided some line of reasoning that didn't make a lot, whole lot of sense, and as far as I was concerned. Uh, but the question is, will this affect the market? Because they were a big buyer and 
by them bidding up prices of these coyote pelts, it kind of force other people to 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 bid those up as well um, and pay more, you know, to get what they needed. And also, you know, they they had this fashion statement where, you know, people that people more people wanted to buy the Canada Goose uh, parkas and the ones who couldn't afford it. You know, they they bought the sort of the lower end parkas uh, as a substitute. And when you don't have the top uh, icon in the fashion industry promoting those uh, those main ticket items, uh, maybe it hurts the lower end of the totem pole as well. And I, I, one of the thing that things that concerns me is potentially Canada Goose using this as a tool to kind of turn things on the fur market and say, oh, well, look, we're more sustainable because we're using recycled fur and our competitors uh, are not and they're killing these coyotes and it's, un, you know, unethical or whatever. So it, it's, it really, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I don't know what's going to happen. But um, in the near term, 2022 is when this is supposed to start. And so what that means is who knows, maybe they're going to buy a whole bunch of them whole bunch of coyote pelts uh, to get ahead and and uh, and get ready for this 2022 change and uh, may not hurt the market initially but maybe it will I I really don't know long term I don't think it's a good thing for the fur industry and it just goes to show that you know we cannot allow just one outlet to control the market for uh, our fur items and uh, finding ways to get creative and and uh, find more outlets for for fur is what we have to try to do somehow. It's not going to be easy, but the good thing we have going for us is fur is incredibly valuable um, piece of clothing. Um, very warm, very durable, and beautiful. So hopefully some people um, can can come up with some things that work and, and create success. One of the things that Tyler mentioned in the second part of our interview, which I'll probably play next week, is uh, you know encouraging trappers to... Uh, to actually wear fur themselves, you know, and uh, and try to help promote it. But uh, anyway, that's that's the bad news. Um, there's always lots of good news. Hey, the beaver are coming, the spring beaver trapping line. Man, I did. Uh, I put up ten beaver today and yesterday from from start to finish. I will tell you one thing. I'm not getting that much quicker. I don't know. I I probably done a couple hundred uh, beaver just overall in in the last several years and. Boy, I, I don't know. I, I still cannot get go from, you know, from, from very the very start of skinning to, uh, nailed up on the board in less than an hour. I'm usually somewhere around the hour mark. So, um, I try to get a little faster. I think I'm getting a little better at it. But boy, it is, it either it, no matter how you put it, some people are are better and more efficient. But it is a lot of work. To, to deal with beaver pelts no matter which way you you look at it so um but it, it's fun it's a beautiful time of year to be out trapping I've, i'm making different sets and trying different things succeeding and failing and trying to learn and, and having a little fun getting ready to wrap it up here um get these pelts all dried up and get them shipped off but um yeah it's good so let's get in the interview with tyler uh this is was a lot of fun and I will mention, um, because uh, we, we don't talk about it in, in this interview segment, but we will in next week's segment, um, their website, alaskaseldens.com. Uh, that's alaska, S-E-L-D-E-N-S.com. 
has a bunch of really cool stuff. Now, if you don't listen, or if you don't watch the Last Alaskans TV show, you need to get on that. Um, I had a listener of the podcast the other day, heard uh, heard me mention it, and, uh, and started watching. Of course, it's COVID-19. There's lots of time. Uh, people have lots of time to watch things, and uh, he started watching, and he said it's one of the best TV shows that he's ever seen. Absolutely loves it. So um, if you're not watching it, you ought to check it out. Um, I'll leave a link to that in the, the show notes. Um, and then uh, you, you'll kind of get to get to see, you know, Tyler and, and Ashley on the trap line out there in uh, in the bush of Alaska. Um, and then go ahead and, and check out their website, alaskaselvins.com. And Ashley writes a blog there, and she has a bunch of really cool articles on uh, on living out out in the bush and, and that sort of thing. Um, the most recent one, she talks about food and how much food and what items she brings. And I thought it was really informative. If I ever do spend the winter out in the bush, it'll, it's a little jump start on what to think about in terms of grocery shopping and, and ordering supplies. So that's pretty cool. But um, the thing to uh, go check out as well is their shop. So they get a shop on the website and they sell a bunch of things from animals that they trap out there in the wilderness. Um, they've got tanned fur pelts. They've got uh, booties, mittens, earrings, pendants, necklaces. Um, you know, uh, they are, they do have fur ruffs, which are pretty awesome that you just sew onto your own parka. Um they have skulls from like lynx, wolverine. They've got necklaces, just a, a whole bunch of different things to check out. You know, a lot of the stuff is fairly expensive because the you know the fur costs a lot of money. That's expensive fur, and it's hard to trap, and there's a lot uh, tied into it. But if you don't have a lot of money, you just want to support them, and you think it'd be pretty cool. Um, one thing that I recommend is they have some keychains. They're only um, they're they're as low as twenty five dollars for a Lynx Fang keychain with free shipping. Um, pretty cool, just a you know piece of Lynx bone and and a tooth, um, kind of put together in a keychain um, and uh, and a little bit of artwork on it. So cool stuff. Check them out and let's get into the interview. All right. Well, Tyler Selden, great to great to talk with you. Um, how are you guys surviving this coronavirus lockdown? Well, we're doing just fine because it's really nothing out of the ordinary for us to hunker down. <laughs> we just came out of the bush basically right when this thing was blowing up. And so we just kept on doing what we did all winter long. Just stayed in the cabin and stayed in camp and did our own thing. Was there a part of you that thought about maybe sticking it out there in the bush uh, instead of coming to town? Yeah, there definitely was. I mean, Ashley and I kind of went back and forth about it. and um, But, you know, at the time when we left, it was late, or yeah, late February. It wasn't quite as serious as it is now, and it seemed like it might have been just kind of silly and overblown to, to stay. But Yeah, and you probably, you yeah. know, you get, you get some news on the radio, but you probably are kind of limited in what you hear. Yeah, you definitely don't get any of the Internet stuff it's all about the only source of news we have up there are little npr newscasts so yeah but you know it kind of made the picture clear that the the thing was kind of serious but you know you still we're still part of society you know we have to come back and 
we've got responsibilities here just like everybody else so we yeah. had to yeah. come it's, back and uh, <laughs> it is quite a quite a seasonal uh lifestyle that you live kind of almost uh could call it nomadic huh yeah i guess it is um you know we spend half of our time in in fairbanks or outside of fairbanks where we live just living a a pretty regular lifestyle i'd say you know we still we still are um try to be fairly self-sufficient here while we're in town but doing gardening and raising livestock or chickens and meat birds and stuff like that and we've got our dogs and um we you know eat nothing but wild meat here and once the garden is in is in bloom late starting in about late june early august we're pretty much eating out of that and out of our freezer so um but otherwise you know we we mix and mingle with with friends and go out and do do stuff in the community and and then the other half of the year we're out in the bush trapping and just living off the land kind of and almost no community essentially yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah we go from from this to that so yeah but um, so for folks that have been living under a rock, um, they most most people know you from the the show The Last Alaskans. That that's my favorite TV show, even though it's not airing anymore. Um, and I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast are been big fans of the show. And you know the biggest thing is that that seemed to draw me and a lot of other people to the show was just like number one as trappers, it's something we always wanted to do and and always appealed to us and most of us never did take that leap and go to Alaska and, and live in the bush. Uh, number two, it was, it felt like, uh, they weren't pretending like all the other TV shows out there, you know, dramatizing things. And it was just like a straight up, you know, here's what life is like. Um, what was it like for you? Like being on the other side of the camera? Oh, it took some getting used to, um, especially right at first. I mean, I was I felt pretty uncomfortable in front of the camera. Yeah. And I was always getting getting uh chewed out for looking at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Turns out you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> but um <laughs> but I don't know. I mean it once we got used to sort of being the center of attention like that and and it became more normal, it was we we were able to relax and and sort of just open up to to the audience, you know, be be more ourselves. But how how long would they be there at a time? They, the longest stretch they would ever be there was for about two weeks. Okay. In the fall, they would spend about two weeks. Then they would take a week off, and then they would come back for another seven to ten days. Once you had in the winter time. I, well, in the fall, there's no trapping, but you know, we're just doing our hunting and fishing and stuff yeah. but and then in the in the winter they would come out for a week to 10 days although a few times you know you wouldn't hear about this on the television show it's behind the scenes stuff but weather is a huge factor when you're depending on uh, aircraft to fly out there sure. to pick up the crew so there was some major major weather delays and all that i think the longest we ever spent with with those guys was about a month out there really? before they could finally leave. Yeah, their their support their support team and stuff. But yeah, 
That must have been a little yeah. different because you guys did this for a long time before the show, right? Yeah, yeah, I, about eight years before they came along. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a major change. It was a major change, and it, and at first, you know, at least at least I was pretty resistant to the idea of doing it, but um, because I, you know, I, I I don't watch television. We don't have a TV or anything, but. You know, on the on the we don't we don't live in a cave like you were saying. So we did know about some of the other Alaska reality shows that were kind of at least pretended to be about the bush lifestyle, and right. certainly weren't impressed with any of them, and didn't <laughs> want to be any, didn't you, want to you be didn't want to be a joke like a subject of no yeah. no no not at all no. So I mean, when we first started started uh, discussing possibility of going on the, the program we made sure to be upfront with them about hey if you guys ever start wanting to manufacture drama or anything like that we're just gonna ask you to leave and never come back so yeah so and i think everybody that was on the show was on the same page there you know they wanted it yeah, to I be think so. serious you know serious and genuine and uh and not not fake so I assume that you've you've spent some time watching it. Yeah, yeah, we've watched all the all the episodes. Um, sometimes it would take about a year before we finally got around <laughs> to doing it. But yeah, that's one of the things that's hard to to think about is like when when the show comes out, it could be a year after the actual filming, and so yeah. you know you look yeah. at what's going on. It's like, oh yeah, that happened a year ago. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so do you think they did a pretty good job portraying? Uh, portraying you guys you know accurately i do i'd i'd give them a you know a strong a b plus i think they did they did as good as they could you know and then still they're still having to make a product that's going to sell yeah so there were some things that they might have included more of i was a little disappointed with how they they didn't i don't want to say they minimized trapping the importance of trapping in our lifestyle but they didn't focus on it you know yeah and that's that's really kind of why why we're all out there you know that's our that's our main activity at least you yeah. know yeah. there's a lot of other reasons we're there but that's that's the center of our of our lives for sure right yeah that, that's a good point because there there were a lot of uh it, it seemed like as you're watching a season you'd get all you get a bunch of stuff in the fall and then you get, just get into trapping season and it's like oh yeah awesome they're gonna show the trap line and then there'd be like parts of two episodes and then it would be, you know, the end of the season. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, but I guess, yeah. you know, that's, you can kind of, I, I was just happy that they actually showed that, you know, level of trapping uh, on a national, uh, to a national audience. Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty shocked. I know after that first season, yeah, it was season one that they, I caught a link with them when I was out on the, on our lake and and they went up to the set with me and the thing was still alive of course and we don't shoot shoot cats up here we just there you know kill them and uh and they showed that whole thing uncut that was all unedited and i was pretty impressed with that and i was glad that i didn't bumble bumble over my words too badly i tried to (laughs) you know tried to um just make a statement for trappers and trapping and that lifestyle. And that was one of the best things about that show is that it, it did 
show a positive light on on trapping and hopefully it it scored us a few points with people who were on the fence about it i think so and i think it put a human side to things you know they, they realize that these trappers are they're actually people you know and, and live lives just like you know everybody else um, and and they maybe yeah. maybe can could empathize a little more with with us as opposed to just you know it's easy to make someone out to be a bad person when they do something you don't agree with yeah 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 but, yep. um, useful but, that way Getting back a little bit, um, you didn't grow up in the bush, uh, as I understand it. You you grew up quite a ways from from the bush of Alaska. So, so maybe you could give us a little background on on where you're from and and how you got started trapping. Yeah, I'm from uh, right smack dab in the middle of the state of Nebraska, right in farming <laughs> country there. <laughs> yeah, definitely no wilderness around me or anywhere near me really um although it's rural you know there's lots of room to run around for kids mm-hmm. and stuff and my brother and i from an early age were just we were just outdoors kids you know we just ran wild during the summers and after school during the winter and my dad was a hunter and uh so we took an interest in that right away and he, he taught us how to use guns and and hunt basically right as soon as we were able to and then um he wasn't a trapper though but some of his friends were and one guy in particular gary stefan hagen he's no longer with us past a couple years ago but he um he was big trapper and he got my brother and i into it at an early age because we showed an interest and he kind of just uh shepherded us along and hooked us up with traps here and there and bait and showed us how to make the sets and pick locations and we kind of just took it from there we had a we got a big uh, piece of land in our family right within walking distance of where we grew up a lot of creek bottom and stuff and that was kind of where we learned was down in there going after coons and possums and skunks and whatnot do you remember the first animal you trapped yeah, I, I mean, we were after coons, but um, it seemed like we didn't catch anything but possums that first winter we trapped. So yeah, I think it, I'm pretty sure it was a possum, but um, so that's not really the kind of memory that would stick too well. But yeah, <laughs> not so, a glorious first trapping memory. <laughs> nope, but it, it it was a start anyway. Um, yeah, it was a start. And and what was the what was the bridge between catching the possum in Nebraska and going to Alaska? Jeez, I don't know. That's a big question. I I just um, I just I basically I kept moving further north after I got out of got out of high school. I wanted to move to Minnesota because I'd always um, been attracted to you know the North Woods or whatever, and I ended up in. Um, southern minnesota which is basically the same as nebraska farm country. just because yeah farm country just because of uh practical reasons you know it was affordable and i got i was able to uh continue uh wrestling and playing football at that school and so that's why i went there and then uh i i eventually ended up in duluth after that and that was a little bit more like what i was looking for and yeah i spent a lot of time there. 
Yeah, yeah, heavily forested. Um, it's on Lake Superior. There's lots of wilderness accessible from town, you know, and short drive from town, and boundary waters are within striking distance and all that. Mm-hmm. That sort of fueled my fueled my desire to want to make the woods part of my life, and I got a chance to go up and work in, in Denali Park the summer before I graduated from college and never been to Alaska. Of course, it was it, it had always been uh, loomed large in my imagination and stuff, but I'd never actually planned on moving up here or anything. So, but so after you, I put, you put yeah. in for a job, just kind of out of the blue. Uh, well, a buddy of mine had a, had been working up there, and I kind of reunited with him. I hadn't talked to him in a couple of years, and he told me about, oh yeah, I'm going back up to Denali to work, and he said, yeah, I could easily get you on if you wanted to, wanted to come try it out. And, I jumped at the chance, so, and I'm glad I did. I mean, that sort of, that sort of sealed it for me after that summer. What did you do that summer? What was the job? Oh, I mean, for my job, it was just, I was just working in a, at Glitter Gulch there, the big, the big tourist gauntlet at the, at the head of, head of the park road and in a restaurant. And then, but we had long weekends and pretty much spent every weekend out in Denali Park, backpacking around, and I, I mean, I never seen country like that before. It was just spectacular, and just that, just so wild, you know. I mean, it was a park; you couldn't do any hunting or fishing or anything, but it was, it was, uh, it was all I needed to see to know that I wanted to move up there. Yeah. So, you know, I we when we. Then I had to go back to <laughs> had to go back to Minnesota and explain that to Ashley. She she was my girlfriend <laughs> okay, at the so time. Okay, so you guys had been you guys were together yeah. at the time. Yeah, we were. Um, was she from Minnesota as well? Yeah, she's, she was from from southern Minnesota, closer to where I went to went to the first round of college, and we didn't meet there. We met up in Duluth, but um, yeah, she. She was, you know, I just started talking about uh, Alaska, like, with religious fervor at that point. <laughs> you were obviously Trying pretty con- convincing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I was going one way or the other, with or without her, you know, and she, she, she wasn't too keen on what she was, what she was studying or what her prospects for the future were if she kept at it, so. Yeah. So she was pretty just, open and to she, something different. Yeah, she, yeah. She's a, she was an adventurous person. Like I guess like we had that in common. So hmm. yeah, but so I you know I sort of had a naive idea that we'd come up here and live off the land. You know, sort of, which I think tons of people come up to Alaska with the exact same ambition that I had to move out into the woods and mm-hmm. live off the land or whatever and. Most don't make it for one reason or the other. And or they make it and they decide it's not what it was cut out to be. Yeah, yeah, or they decide they don't like it or it's too much work or it's too too much hardship or they don't like the isolation or, you know, any number of reasons people don't stick with it. Or, yeah. But, um, you know, we just, I, we got lucky, you know. So did you move right Finding. to Fairbanks from Minnesota? No. No, um, we moved to Coldfoot. Oh, Coldfoot wow. up on we the Dalton Highway. Really remote. <laughs> yeah, we wanted to. We're 
mean, I, it was kind of my plan, but I, I just wanted to be out in the wilderness somewhere. And, you know, we, when we left Duluth, we didn't have any money. And we were, in fact, we were well in debt because of college tuition. And so it wasn't really an option to just move up here and wander off into the woods somewhere and start trapping. Mm-hmm. You know, I we had to get our feet wet first. And I figured if we moved to a place like Coldfoot, we might hook up with some local people that could teach us something or at least we'd be close to the woods you know and uh there's all kinds of public public land around there and it's it's really wild once you get outside the camp it's all wilderness and that's gated gates of the arctic or yeah gates of the arctic on one side and it's pretty close to a edge of the arctic national wildlife refuge too and then some state land and yeah it's but it's all all pretty much open and so we moved there, and we stayed there for about 10 months. No employment? We were employed, yeah. Oh, okay. We were, we were working at uh, at the truck stop there. Oh, okay. Yep. All right. So you had, so you had a yep. way to survive anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. We were we actually did pretty good, you know, because it, it's room and board, so we just took all our money and put it into, put it towards our college debt, and okay. we kind of paid that down, and then we... It was a weird place to live in a lot of ways, so we we skedaddled after about a year up there. It's basically and then we ended up, a truck stop, yeah. right? The whole town. Yeah, yeah, it's a, that's what it is. Yeah, it's a stop there along the along the oil road. Um, truckers would pull in there and fuel up and eat eat breakfast. We were we were on the uh, the breakfast crew. Ashley was the waitress, and I was the cook, and they'd come in there and harass us and eat and <laughs> get back in their trucks and keep going crude crude bunch of dudes yeah. <laughs> and probably they're really not much for locals maybe they're i guess over to wiseman there'd probably be some locals living there maybe. yeah yeah there was you know wiseman's got a got a handful of people that have been living there a long time and we met some of those guys you know the recoffs were yeah are a famous family up there yeah yeah, I got to know Jack a little bit, and of course he was inspiring to me. You know, he was doing what I wanted to do, and but I was—I guess maybe I was I, a little starstruck or something. I never really got got close to him at all, or asked him a few questions here or there. But the, you know, that area is—you uh, know—we wanted to trap, but we couldn't because the area is already claimed by local Wiseman folks. So. Yeah, that was one thing that struck me about Alaska. It's like no matter where you go, um, if you're anywhere near a road, somebody else is likely already trapping there or claims to be trapping there. So Yeah, they may not have trapped might, it for five or ten years, but they still claim it. Yeah, or 20 years for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's yeah, Alaska's kind of unique in that in that respect. You know, I mean, there's still, there's still a lot of... Well, there's a lot of competition over the trapping grounds, but a lot of it is is claimed, and it's sort of this person's traditional area, so you don't go in there. Yeah, it it can be really frustrating for people starting out. Well, technically, you know, you could go there, but I know you're probably like me. I I could never. I I would just feel guilty. You know, like I'd feel like I'm in someone else's territory, and I'd be paranoid the whole time. Uh, So yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, if you're a confrontational type, if you're the kind of person that gets off on that sort of thing, you might enjoy it. But I'm not that way, you know. So when I was in in Coldfoot, I 
I wanted to trap really bad and I had traps and everything that I drug up with me from, from Nebraska and I was all gung ho when I got there, but pretty soon realized I couldn't. And I, I talked to some of the locals about it and they, they said, well, you know, you could say if you want to try and catch a couple wolves or something, you can set, set a few snares over here. And I tried, but of course I didn't catch anything and it was kind of discouraging and, but it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't put out the fire, you know, I right. was, I was determined to find a spot and sort of blundered for the few years after that. And, um, until we just got lucky and found the place we're at now. But you stayed, you stayed in Alaska. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Fairbanks from Coldfoot. No, actually we ended up down in Anchorage and it was kind of a, it right away we realized we'd made a big mistake moving there. Um, because it just was not why we moved to Alaska to live in a big city. And, yeah. um, but it was midwinter when we left Coldfoot, and and there's not much employment available anywhere um, that time of year, so you got to pretty much go to a city. And our friend, another once again, I had a friend in, in Anchorage that offered to let us move into his place. He had he had an extra room. And my brother Dustin wanted to move up too. He was, he wanted to see what Alaska was about and he was willing to move to Anchorage. So that kind of seemed like it might be fun, you know, a couple of my right. brother and a friend and, sure. and we were young, you know, we were just, just kids really and whatever. We'll, yeah. we'll just try it out. We if thought you like it, you could do something else. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't, it wasn't like we were committing ourselves to something, you know, and just, it was just an experiment and it, so we went down there and we found jobs and, um, just more restaurant work because that's the easiest kind of work to find it seems like yeah. and uh, and so we we did that for a few months and I, I absolutely hated it you know I hated living in Anchorage I couldn't stand the place and um, I had a pretty bad attitude I suppose I was probably not very fun to be around and then we <laughs> we we moved out of there to Hope for the summer and that was a really weird experience where um, is that? Ended up, it's it's down on the on the Kenai Peninsula. It's just right across the the inlet from from Anchorage, straight okay. line, a long drive to get down there. And it's a dead end road goes back into a bay and uh, hopes back in there. It's just a little town, little tourist trap. And we we hooked up with a a mom and pop bed and breakfast type place and. They took. They were willing to take me, Ashley, and Dustin on all at once. So it was kind of like, well, we can stay together and get the heck out of Anchorage. So we just took it, and they worked us for forty days. We worked for them for forty days. We didn't see a single paycheck, and uh, and we when we went to ask for a paycheck, they they cut us all a hundred dollar check and said, "Here you go. This wow. is what you've earned so far." And wow. We we took off after that. <laughs> <laughs> after some acrimony, we uh, we left and and uh, that's when Dustin was like, "Well, to hell with this, you know, I'm going back to Nebraska." Yeah. And and Ashley and I, we had we didn't entertain any thoughts of leaving Alaska at that point. It was just like, well, that was one more failed experiment. <laughs> now, that's uh, what are we going to do now? So we just went up to Fairbanks. We moved to Fairbanks because we we always. We always liked it when we visited while we lived in Coldfoot. We would come to Fairbanks for 
you know, to do errands or get stuff. And sure. we'd kind of gotten to know the town a little bit and just like the feel of it and the location, you know, it's, it's, it's different culturally from anything south of the Alaska range. And yeah. so we, we went with it and, um, got lucky, you know, we met, we met really good people that are entrenched in the outdoor, um, lifestyle right away. And that kind of made all the difference for us was kind of hooking up with these old timers that steered us on the, on the track that we wanted to be on mm-hmm. and helped us eventually help, helped me find a trap line and, and, um, yeah, just kind of got our foot in the door that way. And so, then we kind of took over. So where you're, where you're at now, is that the first real trap line that you ran? Uh, the, I guess I don't understand the question. Uh, I don't, I don't want to give it away too much, but the, like the general area that you're trapping now, um, is that, is that like the first real yes. trap line that you ran? Well, yeah, the had. first real one for sure. Yeah. I, I trapped around Fairbanks that first winter we were here. Okay. And, um, yeah, that was, I could, I could tell right away that wasn't what I was looking for, you know. Competing with other trappers, probably. Yeah, competing with other trappers and the just setting a trap anywhere near a trail hmm. around Fairbanks is a nightmare. You know, it's just going to catch a dog eventually or whatever. And that's actually what happened. I ended up somebody's dog got in one of my snares and died, and it was just it got into the papers, and you know the Trappers Association had to stick their neck out for me, and and you know, that just totally put a bitter taste in my mouth for trapping anywhere near town yeah wasn't really my fault it was kind of a freak accident i had my trap my snares way off the trail and this dog just started chasing a rabbit and blundered into one of my snares and but yeah so that that just kind of ruined it for us and um and i was like well you know i don't i just told ashley you know this sucks i don't want to trap in town i don't want to live in town for that matter i want to get the hell out of here and go out into the bush and where we can just be the have as much country as we could ever possibly hope to run just all to ourselves and Mm -hmm. you know that's what we moved up here for you know let's just figure out how to do it and that kind of motivated me and um and i got in with this i started working for this log builder at right around that same time we started peeling logs for him name's bill kiskin he's a pretty well-known log guy here in the interior and he's a trapper too he came up to alaska when he was just 19 i think and that was back in the good old days when you could just go out and strike off into the woods you know and claim something for your own and and he kind of did that and uh so i was enthralled by his stories and um his experiences out in the bush and he encouraged us to to stick with it and and um and and follow our dream to to do that and um he actually was the one that ended up finding that trap line and for us and you know making helping to make the deal happen so um, yeah. yeah that was that was kind of how that happened and so basically for people who don't have uh, a good understanding Alaska has does not have registered trap lines, but there's kind of I guess a code. You know, you don't if someone cuts their own trails and builds cabins, uh, you don't you don't trap there. 
Now, people sell trap lines, and uh, basically what they're selling is, is not technically the right to trap. They're selling uh, their cabins, their equipment, and basically their word that they're not going to trap it there anymore. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I'd say you pretty much got that all right. Um, and the, the other thing is, is you might be paying for something, but you're not really getting much, you know. Because <laughs> you don't own anything, right. you know the, the 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 cabin is on public land, and uh, in in almost every case, and um, you might get some beat up snow machine or and some clapped out equipment, you know, and some rusty pots and pans, and that's what you're paying for. And then just that whole you know a whole bunch of blue sky blue sky, and um, yeah, just the 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 right to say that this is your country now, you know. The right to trap there and defend it if necessary from other competition. And so, so you and, and for the most. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, for the most part, that's uh, that's you know, it's given a lot of respect in Alaska. You know, if that if somebody's trap line is is bought and paid for, then other people respect that and stay away. Yeah, and you, yep. you're far enough away from anything that that there's there's also fairly low risk that someone's going to just pop in out of nowhere and, and show up on your trap line. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly where we're at, there's a really low risk of that. I would pretty much have to be an airplane trapper and you'd hear them buzzing around. And if they came up there in your area, you'd be able to, yeah, a few phone calls, you could probably figure out who it was, you know? Yeah. So, but as far as snow machine access, there's no trails going up into our country and from any of the villages. And uh, the river is normally the, the the highway, you know. But our our river is so so riddled with warm springs mm-hmm. that it's never safe to travel on. So that keeps keeps any snow machine traffic from coming up there. So we're pretty much we're pretty much uh, isolated and cut off from the rest of the rest of the people in the area 